So, like, this is, like, almost an emergency podcast. You know, it's trade deadline uh, reaction. I, I hit up Sean yesterday, my guy from Philly, and I'm like, hey, man, you want to talk uh, trade deadline? When can you talk? And he's like, uh, tomorrow. And then Josh just hits me. And he goes, uh, you need somebody to talk shit on the podcast? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> come on. So I, I brought my two friends together. Sean, what's up, man? How's it going, man? Uh, Time to speak. I know, man. Uh, you know, we communicate uh, via Instagram every day, but it's good to see your face and uh, hear your voice. Yeah, so, last time I spoke to you, we got roasted by the Hawks in the playoffs. So bet- better spirits this time around. <laughs> yes, sir. And the guy who got you roasted brings us here together. What's up, Josh? How we doing? You know, doing well. It's funny that uh, Sean mentions that. You know, I feel like the last time I saw UAC, the Falcons were getting roasted at the at Mercedes-Benz by the Saints in Taysom Hill. You had very choice words to say about that, but we'll, we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you talk about um, money well spent. Um, one home victory the entire season, and that was against <laughs> the Lions. <laughs> Tough to be a Falcons fan. But it's big baby and friends, and we're going to talk the uh, NBA trade de- trade deadline. So let's talk about – no, actually, let's talk about se- – se- well, <laughs> Wrong button. Let me get it together. Ben Simmons and James Harden are what leverage looks like. You cannot like the way Harden left Philly. Excuse me, left Brooklyn. You cannot like the way Harden left Houston. But guess what? When you're really good at what you do, you get to do things that people don't like. You can be upset that Ben Simmons laid an egg against the Hawks in the second round of the playoffs. And then didn't go to the Olympics. Then didn't play all season. Was battling with his mental health, if that's what you want to believe. I don't know. But guess what? When you have leverage, you can get out of a situation. And, you know, people outside of the NBA think it's crazy. Like, oh, that's why I don't like the NBA. See, the NFL, they would never let the the players run the league. They would never let the inmates run the asylum, right? Shout out to Bob McNair. But the thing is, the NBA is a different league. And until the NBA adjusts to look like more like society, it's going to continue to be this way, and the ratings are going to continue to drop. Because people in America don't like to see the little man win. And it's okay, but in our capitalist society, we are firm believers in the institution. We like the institution. You go work hard for a company and you retire after 30 years with your pension and your watch. But God forbid the the low man on the totem pole say, hey, I don't like this place. I'm leaving. So because of the way our society is built, the NBA goes counter to our society. But the NBA is just like Twitter. The people who are there and the people who, 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 who consume it, they love it. They don't mind it at all. But the opinions that you hear on Twitter and the things that you see on in the NBA, uh, they don't appeal to the common person. They don't appeal to the casual fan. But the thing that we should all take away from this is don't doubt Daryl. Because Daryl Morey knows what the hell he's doing. Sean, as the guy from Philly who had to watch this whole thing kind of play out, man, what are your thoughts on how Daryl Morey handled the situation? 
I think it was beautiful, honestly. I mean, obviously, it's it's easy to say that in retrospect now that we got a former MVP and a, what, 10-time All-Star. It didn't look good there for a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I think you're right on, on, on the side of, like, both sides had leverage. Like, Ben was willing to light, what, $19 million on fire, which gave him leverage. Like, listen, I'm going to sit out. That's my leverage. Like, I won't come to work. And Daryl had leverage by, like, okay, you're not going anywhere until – I get the deal I want. So I think they both had leverage and Daryl also shout out to him for not being bullied by clutch or Twitter or I don't know, anyone on ESPN or any, any of that stuff. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it worked out for both of them. Surprisingly, one of the few NBA trades you can say like, Oh wow, that made both teams better. Hope you're on mute. Still on mute. I'm yeah, done muting my mic. I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> hey, Josh, as a guy who was, um, you know, just kind of an onlooker here, what were your thoughts on how Daryl Morey handled Ben Simmons? I mean, uh, I feel like overall for the situation, he couldn't have come out any better. Um, uh, to turn a guy that didn't want to play for you into a, you know, a top 20 player who can put up 50 points or a triple-double, if not both on any given night, um, is amazing. I mean, I, I think that like, sure, there's a mental health aspect to it that may or may not exist that people are, you know, more sensitive to, um, you know, but I, I think ultimately he didn't force him to play, he, you know, didn't really drag him out in the media. He said he was willing to let it go as far as he could, which I, I think, I mean, can you not expect that from a guy that's running a franchise? Like he was just being more transparent with the media than he probably had to be ultimately, I think then most people are willing to be, you know, I think there wasn't the PR spin that was there, but um, just really fun to, to see a guy turn a guy that can't shoot a ball into a guy that can shoot it from half court. Um, and so, you know, cheers to him, you know, like his weekend is going to be pretty great. I'm sure I hope he celebrates. Uh, that's a coup at that point. That's a coup. You, you know, the thing is what I, what I like about how Daryl handled it is it, it shows you that owners should really buy into their GMs, their presidents of basketball operations, and let their basketball people be basketball people. Because there are other GMs who just couldn't do it. Because the ownership would not let them just just stall him. You know, just like stall him out, man. And I think the NFL should take a look at this and say, hey, owners, let the people who you hire to run your operation run your operation. Because if he had had pressure... I mean, y'all could have had uh, Harrison Barnes and De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> or you could have got C.J. McCollum. And not that C.J. McCollum is a bad player, but he's not James Harden. You know, James Harden reuniting with Daryl, I think, is also going to reinvigorate James Harden. Because people want to talk about, oh, well, he, he wind his way out of Houston. Well, new ownership, new GM, and the franchise wasn't going in the direction that lined up with where his career was going. He gets to Brooklyn and Katie's hurt. Then, you know, Kyrie decides not to get vaccinated. You know, that's, that's his personal decision. I don't care that you don't get vaccinated until it's time to affect work. Like uh, you got a job to do. And in a team sport, Hey, demand a trade to a city, to a team that doesn't have a vaccine requirement. Or get fucking vaccinated. And because Kyrie didn't do that, you're sitting there like, hey, James, you're like, dude, I'm trying to win a championship. 
You know what I'm saying? These New York strip clubs really ain't, ain't they ain't Houston. You know what I'm saying? Like, and now Kyrie's playing some games, but he's not playing other games. And to James's credit, he called Kyrie out in the media multiple times. You know, it was subtle. There were subtle jabs, but at the same time, he, he let it be known. So I'm saying all that to say good on Philly for allowing Daryl to do his job. But now, Sean, how do you think James Harden fits with Joel Embiid? Well, just by simple math, um, just by the fact of that Ben Simmons wasn't playing, you basically upgraded Steph Curry into James Harden um, at shooting guard or a point guard, wherever you want to put him. Um, and, and like, yeah, Curry is an excellent role player, excellent three point shooter. Um, but he does, he, he's shorter. He's not very good on defense. He got cooked by Kevin Herter in the playoffs last year, which basically lost game seven for us. Um, he's an okay passer. Uh, can't really get much separation with dribble moves, not the greatest athlete. And he needs to set his feet to be able to shoot, which kind of eliminates shoot off the dribble for him. Uh, Harden isn't nearly the standstill shooter, but I mean, 36% from three career. Uh, he's a, he's an amazing scorer, amazing distributor. Um, the one thing that I'm worried about a little bit is, is the Allen Iverson parallel here with his lifestyle. Um, I mean, we've seen people before in Philly, um, favorite player ever, uh, doesn't take care of himself, you know, strip club all night. I will I will mention there were some funny tweets from strippers last night that said, I just gave James Harden a lap dance. He said he's going to Philly. Greatest way to probably find out ever. I don't know if anyone actually found out that way, but that's hilarious. Um, but, I mean, Iverson went from a, a 32-year-old all-star to out of the league by 34 just because he didn't take care of himself. Um, and that's, I mean, Harden's 32 at the moment. So you just hope, you hope that these hamstring injuries are more him just maybe giving up on, on Brooklyn. Uh, he's also say what you will about the situations that he left, but he did quit on two teams in a row within what a year and a half, maybe a year. Um, you can say what you want about the circumstances, but it is it is what it is at that point. His track record in the playoffs isn't great, which Embiid's isn't either. So it's kind of redemption time for both of those guys. Uh, and we all know how he likes to dominate the ball, and so does Embiid. So it'll be interesting to see if this is a your turn, my turn offense, like the CP3 Harden offense was. It wasn't really they were working together. It was just, okay, you get a shot. All right, I'll get a shot. And it worked because they're both amazing. Uh, Embiid could win the MVP this year. Uh, but it, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting what he does off the ball. It'll be interesting his motivation because I, I fully expect him to come in and just look completely different. He kind of seems like the kind of player that can turn the switch off and turn the switch back on. Um, we joke about the fat suit last year. I, he could come in and look skinny all of a sudden. You never know with Harden. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's the best player in B to play with on offense since Jimmy Butler, maybe. Uh, I mean, obviously he's probably, he's definitely the best uh, player he's played with, but it also fills a uh, Philly's biggest weakness, which was the backup point guard. Uh, Doc Rivers loves these all bench lineups which have just tanked, like, we'll be up by 13, he'll put the bench in, and then they'll just lose the entire lead immediately. Um, so if you stagger the minutes, hopefully, uh, you got to cross your fingers with Doc sometimes, but that means no more point Korkmaz, which is better for Philly fans everywhere. Uh, he can be a backup point guard, kind of run the second team, stagger the minutes, you always have an all-star MVP on the floor, uh, and then we'll just see who does what end of games. But I think uh, ultimately, as long as you pick up a backup big uh, on the – buyout market because Drummond was okay. He was probably the best backup we've had for Embiid. Uh, but that's that's not the biggest worry at this point. 
Uh, I think they'll work out. It'll just be whether they work together because Embiid isn't the greatest pick and roll big. He doesn't really work well in the pick and roll. He's not really a lob threat, which Harden likes. Uh, but I think it'll be more of a your turn, my turn deal. I'm excited, but cautiously optimistic, I'll say. Okay, Josh, how do you see Embiid and Harden fitting together? I feel like really the tough thing for me, uh, if I'm James Harden, either way, you're going to be a one-two punch. I think I take my chances with with arguably one of the best players in the game, if not the best player, and stick it out with KD in the playoffs, the guy that's like been proven and has done some things. You know, no disrespect to Embiid, rather than like take my chances elsewhere. Because you still have the possibility of adding Kyrie to your team if um, the, 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 you know if the Nets decide that they're just going to pay the fine or playoff time. You know, Kyrie decides to get his life together and, and just do what he needs to do ultimately. But uh, you know, I think that what you do have in Philly is a one-two punch that uh, is pretty rare. You know, I can't remember the last time that we've seen uh, two players um, with this much talent offensively. Uh, Defensively, is pretty one-sided towards Embiid. Um, but, you know, I think that just the different abilities, either of them being able to put up 50 points on any night, they can play off of each other in a way that probably gives him more space than he had playing along Kyrie or KD because of where he lines up and likes to post up and do some of those things. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what it's going to look like, but it still feels like it's set up for, um, you know, the Sixers and the Nets to meet up in the playoffs and for us to really see who wins like it's going to be kind of like a referendum on who who won you know and um I, we'll see if come playoff time ultimately i think hey and last thing sean um, you know last year y'all could have made this trade and you would have lost uh maxi and tybal how does it feel only losing like only losing seth curry like i, I mean you can say that you lost andre drummond but uh, sure sure yeah, i mean it feels it feels great first off because curry's been hurt and not playing well. So it obviously makes it easier to swallow that pill when he hasn't looked great recently. Now I, I know that uh, it's a game of runs, it's ebbs and flows, and he could heat up immediately like he did in last year's playoffs. Um, but Maxi has been amazing this year. I mean, the kid's what, 20 years old. He averages like 18 points. He's shooting 40% from three uh, drives to the, drives to the basket. Great. It, it's, it's amazing. It kind of, you keep, you're obviously you opened a what a two-year window when when Harden signed the, the one player option so you have two years with Harden and then you still have your long-term future with Maxi. um I loved it I thought it was amazing honestly all right man so let's transition to the other player in this trade uh we got Ben Simmons and, I, and I'll tell you what I, I watched Ben Simmons in the playoff games against the Hawks uh in person he was dejected you could tell he wanted no parts of what was going on out there. Um, it was, I mean, every time he touched the ball, he's getting booed. He's coming to the sideline with it, with his head down, sitting at the end of the bench, and you're like, he's he's done. He's done. And he's by far one of the most physically impressive specimens I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Joel Embiid is easily, easily the biggest human I've ever seen in my life, but Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard are damn near the same size to include their girth. Pause. But uh, we got Ben in Brooklyn, and, and I keep going to Sean first because you, you just got the Philly stuff, man. Y'all just ran Ben out of town. I mean, Doc shitted on him, and B shitted on him. Your fan, you fans are some of the best and worst fans in sports. I know people like to call y'all some of the most passionate fans, you know. And I'm just like, uh, it's kind of like New York Knicks fans to a certain degree that you become so hard on your team that you kill the players, man. 
And now we got Ben Simmons going to a team that has no fans. Uh, how do you think Ben's going to fare in Brooklyn? It's perfect. There's no one to, to criticize him. Um, I, I think, for one, and we don't have to get into the whole Philly fan thing because we could be on here for hours, but I think one of the reasons we are so passionate is because I feel like we're also a very knowledgeable fan base. Like, we know what we're looking at for the most part. Um, so it's kind of like it's so frustrating because we – we, we know what we're looking at for the most part, basketball wise. And it's, it's, I understand that, that uh, it, it can be rough, especially when your head coach and your, your best player seemingly calls you out. But it's, it's one of those things where if you're a professional athlete, you should have some type of mental fortitude to be able to use that as fuel to the fire. And that's not what was done, obviously. Uh, in terms of Ben Simmons fitting with Brooklyn, it's perfect. There's no, there's less media attention than there is on the Knicks. Um, you have Katie and Kyrie who all they do is get buckets and Ben Simmons loves to pass and play defense. Uh, he'll have to be used more as a screener and a screen and roll. He'll make the, the pass on the short roll. Now, uh, the highest, the highest screen and roll at the three point line. Uh, but he loves that. He can play point guard when Kyrie's not on the floor. Uh, he moves the ball. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's perfect for him. Uh, he can be out of the limelight. What is he? The, the third, fourth, fourth option on that team offensively. It's like, it's a dream for him, honestly. I, I, I like. I feel good for him as a as a basketball player, uh, even though he's soft as tissue paper and and is despised by the town I live in. Um, but like basketball wise, it's it's a match made in heaven, and I, I uh, I'm happy for him as a basketball player, not as a not as a human being. Though. Hey, Josh, you know, you have a a hard nosed guy on your team, Jimmy Butler. You know, a guy that Ben Simmons ran out of Philly. Because uh, I think Philly wins the championship if Ben Simmons, uh, you know, is okay with Jimmy being there. Uh, let's just compare and contrast Ben to Jimmy. And how would you feel having Ben Simmons on your team? I think that Jimmy is an enigma. Um, you love him or, or you hate him. And I think that with Ben Simmons, he hasn't given folks much to love um, at lots of points. Um, you know, I mean, going back to LSU, his disposition, uh, his academics, or lack thereof, if we can even call it that, you know, it feels like there's a lack of a bunch of spaces where Ben Simmons just hasn't shown any like uh, integrity or backbone or, you know, for, for whatever reason. And he's, he was a young guy. It's hard to hold it against him, but you hope that he grows into something different. And I, I don't know at what point he's shown leadership. And I think that a lot of guys, that's what they're looking for in the, in the locker room. They're looking, especially if you're going to be that big and you're going to be a guy that's commanding that much of a salary cap. Ultimately, I think that like guys want to look to you for leadership. They want to look to you for good energy. They want to look to you for, you know, having tough conversations uh, for holding folks accountable. And I, I don't know if we've ever seen that from Ben Simmons. Ultimately, he doesn't seem to hold himself or anybody else accountable. He's just there to either get paid or, you know, whatever it is. And so um, I, I, you know, I think Sean, that we've been on the same page about a lot of things for Ben Simmons and like him in that Brooklyn offense, I can't see it working. Um, I mean, they really effectively traded a guy that um, could shoot really well and do a bunch of things, you know, in the past. I mean, as multifaceted as they get, averaging nearly a, tri a triple-double for a guy that, like, is afraid to occasionally take jump, sh uh, jump shots. And I think that um, I've definitely seen the Ben Simmons workouts right before the season, and I was like, oh, man, I'm ready to see him. And then he decides, like, oh, actually, I don't want to play at all. Uh, it won't be happening. And so maybe if he's, you know, like – Gym session, you know, uh, Ben Simmons, sure, then I'll believe it. But I think ultimately 
They just got a guy that can't shoot. I'm surprised they didn't flip him. Uh, I, I was really waiting for a three-team trade there uh, with maybe him getting swapped out with some, with Westbrook. I think that I'd rather have Westbrook than Ben Simmons on my team right now. <laughs> wow. So I, that kind of would have been a great transition to go into L.A., but I don't want to go to L.A. yet. But I got to give you credit for really teeing up a great transition, Josh. Anytime. But uh, you look at Ben Simmons, man, and I'm I'm cautious about even having an opinion on the fit because if you have Kyrie on the floor, I think I like it. Um, if you have a healthy KD, I I think I like it because you put KD and Ben Simmons in a in a pick and roll, like how do you guard that, right? You know, it's Ben as your role guy, even if. You got KD as even if you got Ben as the ball handler, KD setting the pick and not and it's not going to be a traditional pick and roll. No, but like, what does that look like? How do you cover that? You know what I mean? It's it's, it's scary. And do they do that? Who knows? Um, but with Ben already being an odd personality, you know, I feel like KD's not your typical leader and and not in a bad way i think katie sets a great example of how to be a professional athlete you know take care of your business on and off the court work hard play hard all of that stuff i think he has great balance i would love to play with kevin durant uh some don't like uh his use of burners and i say look man it's not that he's afraid to 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 talk back as kevin durant he's protecting his other business interests and he's like y'all just ain't gonna be keep, keep talking to me crazy as if I'm not a grown man. So I I don't knock him for that. But then you have Kyrie, who's mercurial, to say the least. <laughs> and then you throw in Ben, and, like, you just have an odd big three. And now you're going to have to have uh, Patty Mills, who's likely going to be coming off the bench as your leader of your team. And I don't, uh, you know, Kyrie said it best when he said, yeah, we don't have no coach. Because, I mean, if you look at what Steve Nash does on the bench, I, I, I saw on a, I heard on a podcast this week uh, he's the new clapper. He's taking over for Jason Garrett as the clapper. So <laughs> I, I don't know what to think about this team, but the one thing I do want to say is ESPN and golly, here I go calling that ESPN. Uh, ha, putting a, a trade grade on it before anybody touches the court is absolutely insane to me. I, I think it's worse than draft grades. Because I think those are pretty dumb, too. But I know we have to do it to create content and get people talking. But it's like uh, it's a B for uh, uh, for I think Brooklyn, a C minus for Philly. And you got Stephen A. Smith coming out and saying that um, that the Philly 76 has got fleeced. Fleeced by who? How? You took a player who wasn't playing. And you flipped him for a guy who was number three in MVP votes last year. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? There's no fleecing. I think both teams got what they needed because Harden was going to walk out of the door for nothing or he was going to walk out the door for pennies on a dollar in a signing trade. And Ben Simmons is now, you know, he's, uh, he's getting paid to play. You know, because I'm not going to keep paying you and just having you sit out, taking up roster spot and salary cap all this time. So, you know, and Josh, let's get back to you talking about you'd rather have Russell Westbrook than Ben Simmons, okay? And L.A. obviously would rather have Russell Westbrook than Ben Simmons or whoever the hell else they would want to have, you know, because they stayed the same, man. Uh, 
do you what do you think LA goes from here? They want to go to the buyout market. And from the beginning of the season or from the offseason when they made the Russell Westbrook move to now, how do you feel about it? I was surprised that they didn't move anybody. Um, it felt like they needed a change. Um, I, honestly, I would have sold pretty much anything to see um, Dame and LeBron get together. I think that, you know, I'm surprised that that didn't happen or they didn't just try to make a change just for the sake of it. Um, I think the team as it's presently constructed is going to need to like figure out some new lineups, but I, I don't know if there is one. Um, you know, LeBron and AD play together and they still, you know, are losing to teams that you wouldn't expect. Um, even when favored, uh, you know, and I, I think that um, it's it's been weird to watch that dynamic. But, I, yeah, I, do, I just think that, like, Westbrook brings some explosiveness. Maybe he doesn't come in for the same role. But I'd rather have a guy that's not afraid to shoot and maybe keeps teams honest as opposed to just, like, hoping the pick and roll works perpetually. And I think that that's, like, maybe the difference that I have there. You know, like, Westbrook's shot isn't great, but he's, you know, like, hitting something eventually. But a guy that won't shoot the three – can't keep a defense honest ultimately. And so I, you know, I, I think that like, that's my concern, you know, maybe again, who knows what his development's been like. We haven't seen him play in a long time. And so we can only, you know, like recent memories shows us the worst moment of his career to this point. And so like, it's easy to harp on that, but I'm hopeful that he can just like somehow slide in there and make it work. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think my concern is, does he have the yips ultimately? You know, like how much of this is the yips? And we're seeing that same situation that played out in Philly before, um, you know, with a, with a guard that's now in Orlando or wherever he's ended up. And, you know, I think that that dynamic is just weird to watch play out again. So. Almost forgot about him for a second. That's the first time <laughs> I've thought about Marco Fultz in some time. Dang, that could have been Jason Tatum, huh? <laughs> Orlando Ball. <laughs> Even De'Aaron Fox would have been nice. <laughs> Sean, man, so I don't remember what your original take was on the Lakers when they made the Westbrook move. Um, I don't know if you thought they should have, you know, went and just got Buddy Hield and, you know, added the shooter that helps the team out down the stretch or get Russell Westbrook, who we thought would cover up for uh, street clothes because we know street clothes is going to be in street clothes. (laughs) Well, it's also one of those things where, like, A.D., since coming back has been amazing, but this year on three point attempts, he's been really bad. So their spacing, even with just LeBron and AD has been worse than normal. Um, I, I didn't think it was going to work purely because the NBA is all about space at this point. Like you need to create space for your two superstars. I don't care how good LeBron's and AD's pick and roll is. If Westbrook is the one in the corner, because they're going to give them all the, uh, all the room in the world. I understand that like maybe being able to shoot and being a threat is better than not being a threat. But I've seen plenty of plays where Westbrook, they just leave him there. Like they take a couple seconds to go follow out on him. And I think one of the things that I think is, yeah, his offense, he's he's been Westbrook this season. I understand that. But his lackadaisical, almost aloof presence on defense might have might be worse. I saw a, uh, I believe it was against the Nets, where he left Patty Mills, who I think it hit like six threes at that point, wide open for the game-winning three. And it's just he's been that way his entire career. And you can say all this stuff about um, I've heard a a bunch of stuff on all the talk shows about he needs to accept a different role. He needs to change. He needs to do more of the dirty work. It's not going to happen because it would have happened by now. Um, The weirdest thing to me is how well, not weird. It's kind of hilarious as someone who's not a fan of the Lakers, but just how meddling their ownership is with their GM and the, the process of you know, rotations and who gets to see playing time. 
I mean, if Frank Vogel has his way, you can't tell me that Russell Westbrook wouldn't be coming off the bench at this point. Uh, they, they kind of have done it almost without doing it so far. Like, they'll start him, and then they'll take him off the floor after the first four minutes just to kind of have him run with the second team, which is probably the smartest way to not kill his ego but kind of move him around in the rotation, which is a smart idea. Um, but he just uh, – it's one of those guys where he's got to accept the dirty work. He's got to lock in on D or he's got to play less because it's, I mean, they have some of the shooters between Austin Reeves and even Malik Monk has looked good when he's played with LeBron and those guys, you have some third of the shooters. Laker. What's up? Malik Monk is the third best Laker. I think he might be next to Stanley uh, Pistons legend, Stanley Johnson. Um, <laughs> like there's players on that team. And like, you can't tell me that LeBron hasn't taken a worse team to the finals. Cause I've seen him do it at least twice. Um, it's just, it's, I think it's Westbrook's ego at this point. He's got to accept that for them to win, he either needs to be a sixth man or act as a, a big man. He's got to set picks. He's got to go for rebounds, and he's got to play big. He can do it. Um, it's just I don't think he's wired that way at this point. I, um, you know, I think that this this thing just keeps seeming to happen to LeBron. And, you know, I, maybe I'm just a jaded lover from what happened in Miami. But it feels like at a certain point, about three years into LeBron's tenure anywhere, people just start watching him and they don't play well. They don't do anything. They forget, you know, they can't get their game off. Maybe LeBron is taking all of their talents away or something. But it just seems like at, at every point in his career, it's about three years in that people just like on his teams are no longer able to enhance what he does so amazingly. And, you know, I mean, which is like the whole game of basketball. And I just it feels like the same thing is happening to L.A. that happened in, in Miami, where it's like it's flaming out. The experiment isn't working, you know, regardless of whatever, you know, what pieces they put around him. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that Westbrook, Westbrook is what he is, but they need to figure out a lineup with paper thin A.D. that like is going to use him best, you know, like. If he can still put up 50 and he can potentially be New Orleans, LeBron's got to take a step back if he wants to go anywhere. I think that's the only – they go as far as AD takes them, and he's got to let him do that until he either breaks down or, you know, uh, I mean, gives up. You know, I think that that's really where they're at, where they got to try something different and not put it in LeBron's hands all the time. It's it's wild. It's it's like one of the first players I've seen win – I mean, I, I just didn't think it was going to happen where AD would win a championship and then go immediately on, co like, autopilot mode. I mean, like he was, he was, in my opinion, he was the finals MVP. He was amazing um, defensively, offensively. And then whether it's, I mean, he always gets uh, dinged up a little bit, but um, he comes to play every what? I mean, he's been playing better since he came back, but this season he seems checked out a little bit. Uh, let me shoot AB a little bit of bell. AD a little bit of bell, okay? I'm not shooting AB any bell at all, that fucking jackass. But, uh, AD, last season, he came back out of shape uh, like most of the league did because the league pushed up the start date. And players had already had, like, off-season routine set up to, okay, I'm chilling, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm going to start ramping up here. And in, and in the middle of that, the league says, oh, no, we're starting now. And everyone's not LeBron. Especially after you played in the finals, like right. yeah, a month and a half Exactly. And you and guess what? If I win a championship, I'm celebrating. I've been locked in the bubble. We're having all these private parties that nobody knows about. I'm, I'm enjoying my championship stuff. 
Now, I don't understand why Luka came back fat now to shape because he got put out in the first round, which is where, you know, that's, that's kind of his MO. But I'm going to leave Luka alone because the Luka hive on YouTube is absolutely crazy. Um, but with Westbrook, we talk about Westbrook needing to take on a new role, but the, but the problem is is that he hasn't been humbled. He has not been truly humbled. He's, he, what he said the other day, I'm still going to make $90 million, okay? I, it's hard to humble somebody who makes $90 million. What humbled Melo? He got traded, bought out, and then, you know, left for the Wolves. Nobody picked him up. Nobody picked him up. He finally gets picked up by the Blazers, and he's coming off the bench. So Melo gets humbled by that, and if you listen to him in any media he's done, he talked about where he just, like, took a break from basketball. He's Because he's like, I've been the best player on my team my entire life, and now you want me to come off the bench? Like, and, and even though Paul George and Russell Westbrook were more productive NBA players at that time, at no point in their careers were they ever more talented basketball players than Carmelo Anthony. You know, so it's like, in Melo's head, he's like, I'm better than them, even though he wasn't at that point in his career. You know, and then he goes down to the Suns and Daryl does what Daryl, not the Suns, excuse me, the Rockets, Daryl does what Daryl does. You know, he's going to make the team the best team decision. And Westbrook needs to get humble. And they talk about protecting Westbrook's ego. Look here, we're paying you $45 million a year. You can tuck your ego up your ass, bro. Like, the ego's in the paycheck. And if it's really about winning, and if it's not about winning, let's get you the hell up out of here. Because GM LeBron started doing what GM LeBron does. He's all about the experiment. But when it comes trade deadline time, if LeBron don't like the team, like that – they lost that Blazers game because LeBron was trying to make a statement. He does it every single year. He's not confident in his, in his team. Around the trade deadline, he gets to talking real funny, acting weird, dropping games he's not supposed to drop. And I think that and I think that's what happened. And Josh, you talked about wanting to see Dame Lillard down in LA. And the Blazers have made some decisions to blow up the team. So I don't know why they just didn't do a one-for-one Dame for Russell Westbrook swap because Dame's going to eventually ask out. The Blazers aren't going to win shit because they're the Blazers. And at least uh, Russell Westbrook puts people in the stands and you can let him run around, give you 28, 12, and 10 because there's nobody there to support him. And And who gives a damn about the development of Anthony Simons? So... I, I think by that logic, though, that John Wall trade would have made a lot of sense because he's been humbled. This whole process is damn sure humbled him, right? So I feel like that would have been all the more reason to make that trade. I know that there was one floated out there where they, I guess they would have had to give up their last first-round pick for the next like six years or something. But, I mean, if you want a chip, it's it was worth a shot just because he, he would have done – John Wall would have come into the Lakers, I guarantee, and done anything it took to win at this point. Just to play basketball, I feel like he, that's all it would have taken for him. If he would have lasted without getting injured, I don't know. But, you know, he would have accepted any role, is my point. John Wall's hoop tape looked serious. If you haven't been on his Instagram, check it out. You know, I really like the hype that he tried to put around his, like, trade deadline season that didn't happen. And so um, he stuck. I, I don't know what's going to happen with his career, but he's got a – it would have been fun, and he would have been better than Westbrook. And I don't, I don't understand what message they're trying to send. And yeah, the buyout market is cool, but like the only buyout anybody wanted to hear was Westbrook potentially. You know, like uh, they, who who are they going to pick up? You know, like that's going to get bought out. That'll even change that team ultimately. So, 
Nobody. And I and I wish they would have made the John Wall deal because John Wall is a little bit younger. Yeah, he's more hurt. Similar type player, but John Wall has shown that he can and will play off the ball. Uh, he has he's a better defender than Russell Westbrook, and he's a slightly better shooter, not much better. Uh, he's better off the catch. His off the catch numbers are actually not bad. Believe and, it or not. He's and, a goon, and, though. Huh? He's a goon, though. Him and Brandon Ingram are two of the most gooned out dudes in the in the league right now. Like talk about straight up dudes that are in the streets. I don't care what anybody says. And that John Wall, the man is yatted up and he's blooded out. We, we're gonna call it what it is, you know. I, I think that may have been a concern to have John Wall in LA with 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 bloods and crips. And then also he's a clutch guy. And I mean, clutch it already runs a good portion of the league. I think that uh, Rich Paul is conscious of those optics and he doesn't want to scare off potential uh, players from coming to the Lakers in this offseason because of oh, Clutch is really running the Lakers. And, you know, CAA, they already got beef with Rich for how he did them, try to poach all the talent and go like, hold on, Rich. Nah, we're not sending any of our clients to the Lakers. So I, I ultimately think that's what happened. Um, it's not going to get reported, but you know, we're all savvy enough sports fans to understand some of the politics that goes into trading and free agents and the agent games, but let's get back to blowing up the blazers. Uh, the, the blazers have waved the, the white flag to say no moss, no moss. Uh, they got rid of, you know, all NBA defender, uh, from Tennessee state, Rob Covington. Uh, <laughs> they got rid of, um, Damn, they got rid of somebody else who's who's not good. Norm Powell. Uh, Norm Powell. Excuse me, he is actually decent. Norm Powell sent him down to the Clippers um, for Eric Bledsoe and and shit. Um, Did they wave Bledsoe after that? I haven't have. seen it, but I I hope I don't get a push notification telling me that they waved Bledsoe because I mean, it, it baffles me that Eric Bledsoe gets to play NBA games and John Wall doesn't. I get their salaries are totally different, but come on, man, like come on, Eric. Eric Bledsoe was never a good – he was never a winning basketball player, let's be honest. And then they, they trade C.J. McCollum uh, to to the Pelicans, and they get um, – who do they get in return? They get uh, my guy, my guy from Villanova. Come on, Sean, your guy, Josh Hart. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, they get Josh Hart and some other scraps. Uh, pretty much what, what, what the Blazers are saying is we're blowing it up. And – uh, what they're what they've said out their mouth is that they're going to retool the team around Damian Lillard, but Damian Lillard is at an age where I, I I don't think he sees enough tools in the shed to 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 want to be here, and I think he's going to be asking out at the end of the season, waiting for Chris Haynes to report it. With what assets are they going to get anybody? You know, like it like who are they going to trade? Like CJ McCollum was the biggest chip that they had on the team, and they traded him for a plate of red beans. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't get what, 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 what else is there? Like Portland isn't an attractive city for NBA, you know, free agents. Um, maybe you get somebody on the buyout market, but you're competing with the Lakers and playing with LeBron, you know, like. They might like be reevaluated or, you know, in the next week or two of, with his six week timeline that he put on that, that surgery he had. Um, and so I just I just don't really see what Portland was doing by trading CJ for nothing. I mean, Josh Hart, cool, but that's not, you know, like CJ had more more trade value um, than anybody else. And so I just I, I don't see who they're going to get that's going to really make a one two punch in Portland. That's going to be better than CJ and give them a better team unless 
Dame just wanted more space. It's also weird because what they traded for Covington versus what they traded Covington for was like a complete downgrade. I think they traded two first round picks for him and they what they get back? Keon Johnson and and a second rounder. I I think that's his name. I just it just when you look at it that way, they just gave up two first round picks for a, a Covington rental and it didn't obviously work out even though he's a Sixers legend. Uh I'll give him props for that. Uh and then they gave up Norm Powell who I thought was pretty good. He's a good off-ball shooter. He's a tough defender. Like he's basically what you wanted Eric Gordon for if you were trying to get Eric Gordon uh, during the trade deadline. So I think that was a really. I think that. I mean, if you want to talk about who got fleeced, I think the Clippers fleeced them, obviously. Um, but it's weird because it's one of those destinations, Portland, where like that's the only way CJ was going to the Pelicans is because they traded for him. Like that was why they had to do that. Um, you either get people high in the draft or you, you get them via trades or salary jumps. So I, I feel like, do they still have their first round pick this year? The Blazers? Uh, keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. Cause that's the only, like, like small markets are put in such a spot in the NBA. And I mean, I guess in any sports league, but especially in the NBA where like you can only get big stars a couple ways. If you're a team like Portland, um, especially as Dame gets older uh, and less durable, unfortunately. I mean, other than Dame, what do you have? Uh, Nurkic? Is that, I mean, like, is that who's left at this point? I guess Simons, but, like, that's your one young player. So, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that does not make a team. You know, I I just, I can't really understand what the the game plan is. And you almost think that, like, could they have not have swapped, like, Westbrook for McCollum? And that would have been better for both teams, ultimately. And CJ can run the one and prefers to, honestly. And it's been forced to with uh, Dame out. And so, you you know, like, why not swap the guys? Like, CJ's getting well well paid. Maybe the money's not perfect, but you give him a chance, at least. And, you know, it's probably not a perfect combination for for Dame. But Dame might not play again this year if he doesn't want to. And, you know, I think that you give yourself a chance with a guy that, like, you you bring some folks over. So... So uh, they did pick up a first-rounder from New Orleans. Uh, they owe their first-rounder to the Chicago Bulls. So I, I guess that helps out. But, you know, C.J. McCollum is, has a new home in New Orleans. Let's hope he does not uh, consume too many beignets like his new, like his teammate. Um, and, you know, I'm so They're good. Torn. They're good. What can you do? They're really good. Uh, yeah. I, let me tell you. I, I I am so torn on the New Orleans situation. I thought last year they should have been so much better than they were. Um, all the Zion, Zion, Zion. I'm putting them in the uh, in the Luca category of really good, really good basketball player, really good counting stats. I'm just not convinced that they play winning basketball, um, especially in the playoffs, which Zion hasn't seen, nor has he seen, neither has he seen the play, hasn't seen the play in either. Like, come on, man. Uh, we can't, we can't, you know, really just give Zion all this credit. Um, and he hasn't won shit. And if you want to tell me that last year, New Orleans um, had a worse roster than Memphis, you're crazy. Shout out to Ja for finally getting his credit for being who he's been since he came into the league. I'm, I'm so happy for him. Um, but now we got Brandon Ingram, an all-star. We have C.J. McCollum, who is that notch below all-star. You know, last year probably would have been an all-star if he didn't get hurt with the way he was playing. And uh, Zion, if he ever comes back, um, uh, you know, Greg Oden, fat Greg Oden maybe. Uh, 
Josh, where do you see New Orleans going in the future? So I'm absolutely with you. I think that this team should be a lot better than it is. Um, They have cost me a lot of money on some parlays that I, you know, yellowed. And, you know, I I think that it just doesn't really make any sense. Brandon Ingram has all the talent in the world. Um, Zion has all of the ability in the world, but he's got the, you know, like same type of like uh, physical condition that Oprah has, like causing fluctuations in his weight. And so it's just, I, I, you know, it's, I, I want so much more for the Pelicans, but I think that they, they got to figure something out. They need to blow something up. And, um, you know, they let Lonzo go and um, he's been better in Chicago ultimately. You know, I think that he, he's, I've liked him there. And so what is the problem? What is the piece that they're missing? They've had every different iteration of point guard. They keep choosing the same type. Um, I mean, you know, like New Orleans has got to figure out how to take care of talent. Um, you know, I'm still reminded of the boogie situation and how that played out and how his career has just been in a downward spiral and like, um, you know, I, I, I think that something's got to give there and I, I don't know exactly what it is. And maybe you um, you wait for Brandon Ingram's trade value to be as high as it can be. And you, you get him out of there for the best pieces that you can and you rebuild. But Zion's got to be a leader and step up for this team. You know, like they essentially have been tanking to get as close to anything as they could to you. And now you're hardly available. And, we you know, like when you play, you're really efficient and you're like LeBron and Tim Duncan blended together. But, you know, like if you're not on the court availability, it needs to be your best avail- ability at this point. And I think he's not doing that. So it's, it's weird because like he was awesome. Like he was really freaking awesome. Like, I mean, what is he 20 years old? And he scored 27 points a game at like 60% from the field. Like that's, that's more than young Barkley. That's like young Barkley was like jetpack on him. But like, it's just, it's one of those things where like, if he was healthy, I'd have all these like trade ideas for you. Be like, oh, move him for Valanciunas for Miles Turner because then he can space the floor and protect the rim and all these things. But but he, he's not. Is is he even with the team? He hasn't been to the facility. Like it, this would just be a lot more fun if he was playing because CJ Ingram, who's been playing really well since they started out, I think like one in twelve. I think they've been a five hundred team, so they've been pretty good, um, and he's been pretty good. But like the, and those three together, it's it's that's a fun team. That's at least an eight seed. Like like that's a that's a team that you don't just trample every night. Um, but you just you don't even you haven't even heard any news on him for a while. It was it was he came back. He was overweight. Obviously, all those pictures of him in the sweatsuit came out, and it didn't look great. And then he leaves, and you haven't heard anything about him since. And like from someone in Philly, like it rarely works out. Like Embiid took two years off with a foot and a knee and a back injury. And by the grace of God or whoever you believe in, uh, he came back. But, like, that never happens. Like, big guys who are overweight, if Zion is even under 300 pounds at this point, that's a miracle. Uh, foot and lower body injuries, like, that's bad. That's really bad. And it's it's disappointing, too, just because um, he gets paid a lot of money just to be in shape. And, like, you just want the best for the, that kid. Like, he's he's so amazing that you just want him on the court. But, I mean, I haven't heard anything about him. I haven't heard anything. Who would have thought that he would have been like Greg Oden 2.0? You know, like I, I didn't anticipate that. I mean, just the physicality that he played with. It was – I mean, it, watching Zion in college felt like Bo Jackson, you know. And, like, it, when he steps out of the shoe or, like, splits his shoe in half when he's um, 
when when Obama's at the game on that huge like that huge late night game and and I just that was one of those moments that you always remember and I think that it's weird to watch his career not become what we thought it could be or should be to this point especially playing with the efficiency that he's had um, you know I, I feel like he needs to figure out who like Zebo Zach Randolph's personal trainer was and just like f- get that guy because Zebo figured it out towards the latter end of his career and was healthy for about six seasons straight and so i feel like that's who he needs to bring in like somebody that knows how to work with that type of body type and just get him right it's it's weird too because he played 61 out of 72 games last year he was relatively healthy so it's just the offseason thing out of nowhere because he he played last year he was available yeah you know i'm just i'm just overall concerned about his health um, I, I've gone back and forth with some people and like, hey, big guys who explode too much, the impact wears on you. Um, at some point, he, you know, besides Zebo's personal trainer, he needs to get with Zebo's skill trainer to, to learn that below the rim, big body game that Zebo had to wear. It was hard to guard Zebo, but Zebo didn't dunk, you know. Um, but we'll see. Uh, some uh, some of us are optimistic about Zion. Um, I'm less, but you know, thoughts and prayers, and maybe he'll finally be that that big fish that the that the Knicks land. Um, real quick, you guys got any thoughts on All Star? Sorry, I didn't prep you for All Star. Um, it kind of just popped into my head, and I'm like, yeah, we got a few more minutes of Sean, so let's see if we can hit All Star real quick. I mean, I'm glad that there was a bunch of first-timers this year. That was cool. It shows that there's new, talented guys in the league that are getting some shine. I'm glad that Garland got in. I'm glad that Lonzo Ball got or uh, LaMelo Ball got in. Um, am I missing anybody? Uh, the kid from the Spurs, Murray. I'm glad that I'm glad that there's, like, new, talented, young All-Stars. There's a lot of, like, young dudes in this game. And also – starters. What's up? Miss one of the starters who's a first-timer. Oh, Wiggins? <laughs> I mean, go for him. Go for him, man. No. Minnesota. I'm not saying that he deserves it. It does not make any sense at all why Wiggins is on that starting team. And and, uh, I feel like the best part that I've seen was um, the dynamic between between LeBron and KD last night during the selection with Harden coming up last. Um, You know, I think that it's – that was was funny to watch. I think LeBron not being able to contain himself was funny. LeBron Petty. The clipboard thing. I mean, it it was it was perfect. <laughs> you keep keying behind that thing like it was a lifesaver. Uh, if, if anyone didn't watch that, it's worth just going on YouTube and watching the entire show again. Chuck asked uh, KD if the Nets have a team shrink like it's it's gold. <laughs> I like this pre-retirement Chuck because he's really just starting to let stuff uh, rip that he would only let rip on a podcast. He's just like you know. He caught what half? Uh, he caught Kyrie half man. Uh, I forgot what he said. Uh, half available or yeah, something, half, oh, half something, available like that. something like that. Um, you know, Ernie's asking Katie when he's gonna come back. Uh, uh, I mean, they're just they're just really letting it loose, man. But I really, I, I really liked it. I like the fact that they get to draft the players because it shows you how the great players think of other great players. Like, um, you know, Joker amongst the starters, he kind of, you know, he didn't go as high on the list as some of you media types would have uh, expected because, you know, I think the media loves the Joker, but I don't think a lot of uh, great players who don't play with him, which he doesn't play with any great players, respect exactly who he is and what he does. 
Well, you know what? I don't say that. I think they respect him, but they don't see him as a peer. I, I think he's also not an all-star game type player, I feel like. I feel like that also doesn't help. Oh, man, he's a great passer, though. He, he's, like, great setup, man, for for the sure. oops and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like, full-court passes. I, I think he's his passing ability makes him great for the all-star game. It's just, you know, nothing else. I, I, Joe, he shouldn't be playing, honestly, and I'm biased as a Heat fan, but, you know, I think as long as my boy is out, um, he should have had to sit. You know, like, he intentionally caused an injury to a dude that still hasn't played since. And I want that to be acknowledged, you know, like 40 games into this guy being injured. You know, like a spinal injury, I think it's wild. And hopefully maybe that might have had something to do with it. You know, like I feel like there's some street politics, the hood politics going on in the league. And so I'm fine with that. Jokic is an electrifying player. I mean, arguably the best passing big um, we've ever seen. Uh, but, you know, like that situation is nasty. Because the Morris brothers haven't ever chief shot at anyone. Have they put anybody out for 40, 40 games? That's, that's, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I just those guys are happens. always those guys are always doing some questionable stuff. Not that not that anyone deserves to be injured. But. Sure, you, you, know, look, you got chippy. I feel like the result matters, right? Because we look at the uh, Grayson Allen play. Uh, I don't think he deserved to get suspended for that play. I think he made a legitimate play on the ball, but because uh, um, Caruso, the second best AC, um, broke his wrist and. Uh, and uh, Grayson Allen's personality and his reputation, uh, that matters. And because Jokic doesn't have a bad reputation and the Morris brothers do, it's kind of like we're going to give Jokic the benefit of the doubt and we're not going to give um, – was it Marcus Morris y'all got down there in Miami? No, no, y'all got Keith. Y'all got the one who was on the Lakers, Keith, yeah, because we used to call him Chief, uh, Chief Queef because um, he was awful in the bubble. Not to mention everyone loves Caruso, which doesn't help. It it doesn't. Uh, shit, Sean, is there anything else, NBA, you want to hit before we get out of here? No, I'm just – I'm excited. I'm scared. There's a lot of emotions running through my body right now. Um, and we've been playing well as a team this year without Ben Simmons or anyone for that spot. So I just uh, – I'll be entertained. I'll be incredibly biased, but I hope everyone else enjoys watching whatever we're about to see in Philadelphia for the next – foreseeable future i guess all right man thanks so much i'll hit you when we get done we're about to talk a little bit of uh uh, miami dolphins before uh we close this thing out all right y'all it's good to talk to y'all isn't it nice to like have your friends meet your other friends and hit it off we did okay the chemistry was solid i mean yeah y'all did better than me i've been stuttering my ass off today it'd be like that's friday man it's been a long week I'm telling you, I'm like, I was in between taking a nap at like 2.45, and I'm like, eh, that's gonna, I'm going to be groggy. Nah, let me just take a shower. I actually um, I uh, blew out my hair just to see how long it is. How long? Uh, do you, you got pull? Are you, you down? I mean, it's, I mean, with the hat on, you know. Yeah, a little fro, okay. Yeah, yeah, we got a little something, something up there. I could get the young boy braids if I wanted to, you know. I'm, I'm 30. You're going to be wearing makeup next. Fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I can draw a lot of tight pants. Hey, and even those ain't popping no more, man. Everybody out here is dressing like somebody's grandpa. Look, bro, I'm I'm sorry. And I may be, you know, probably like I was with the baggy pants. I I carried them longer than I should have. You know, we did show up to college with some big jorts. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm going to stay tight for a while. I, I don't. I'm not going to look homeless like Kanye. Yeah, I agree with you. It's hard. Even like my cargo pants, I prefer fitted. And like, I, to each their own. You know. uh, how do you feel about that Kanye verse he shot at Pete? Oh, which one? Didn't he have another one the other day? Yeah, he, yeah, he's something about the uh, 100 goons showing up at SNL. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like he's the type um, that would, I think there's going to be increased security at SNL. Uh, moving forward, I think that like he's gonna spit spin it. Pete uh, is gonna spin it into something that it's not ultimately. But I mean, my if that's my wife and we're not fully divorced and the papers aren't signed, I'm allowed to go hard for my wife. I'm I'm married, you know. Like sure, Kanye's crazy and there's a, a level of whatever it is. But like, no, I'm not gonna let you just like hang out and kick it with my wife and think that everything's sweet while we're still. On paper, especially if I want to be together with someone, you know, like. especially if I'm not getting invited to birthday parties. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's pretty ugly how this whole thing's playing out. I'd hope that if any of my friends or I go through a divorce, we don't want to, you know, we don't want that to happen, obviously. I'd hope to God it just would not play out like that, you know, because for one, none of us are uh, public figures. I uh, hope to be one one day. But when you see how, when you see how, like both of them are playing these these media games, these publicist games, and they're not talking to each other, and they're weaponizing their fan bases against one another, it just gets really nasty. Because can Kim try to move on and date around? Sure, especially if you are. Yeah, I'm not knocking that, but you don't see pictures of those people unless they want you to see pictures of them. Like the same reason why we haven't seen Zion's fat ass because nobody wants us to see Zion's fat ass. So you don't see it. So it's like, Hey, stop playing these games. And then with the framing of they're trying to say I'm crazy. Well, you're doing some crazy stuff that would lead a lot of people to believe that you are crazy. But at the same time, the way you're framing it, that they're trying to make you seem crazy and you're acting out diverse to all of the lights, you go, maybe you're on to something. Yeah. He, he's not even, like, doing the same PR spin that, that uh, Kar- the Kardashians usually do. Like, their marketing campaign. And, like, all right, you're wearing the same ugly Balenciaga boots. Yes, yeah, said it to anybody that's bought those. Um, I think the boots are hideous. I think that the fits look like he's working on a farm. Um, and it, it, I just – I don't really get it. You know, like, I, I – um Kanye's obviously you know lost his way found his way wherever he's at right now and I do believe that they've tried to make him seem crazy but he hasn't helped himself he hasn't helped his case with spazzing out and, and all of that and you know like just market yourself better like you you make easy you you know like you made Adidas pop again you can market yourself and like play the game and you know like I I, I don't get it so I don't either man but like, man let's talk about your dolphins um because we, we talk a lot of football, like, on the side. Um, and shit, man, this is, you haven't been on the podcast since uh, Black Men in Quarantine. Yeah. Like Handsome Squidward when I was bald. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. So, your Dolphins, I mean, it's a lot going on down there. You, you fire your coach after back-to-back winning seasons, who is now suing the league. Uh, the same coach alleged that your owner tried to uh, pay him $100,000 to lo- uh, per loss to lose games in order to get Tua Tangabaloa. Uh, you end up with Tua at five. Anyways, 
Although y'all definitely could have lost some other games. Uh, and not even just, not even just, you know, like for the pay, just season's over. You lose your last two games. I think one of those games was to Cincinnati. Uh, you pick first and maybe you have, um, where are my glasses at? I, I can't find my glasses, but you have Joe Cool. Yeah. Um, and I think Brian Flores, you know, for better or for worse, did the nice PR run. Hey, we wanted to trade all three of our first-round picks to move up to get Burrow. Since he said no, smart move, Cincy. And he also said I wanted to take um, Justin Herbert. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Just like Hugh said, you know, Hugh co-signed that he was getting offered to lose, uh, paid to lose games. And Hugh also came out and said he wanted Deshaun Watson, and he could not get them. I firmly believe that Brian Flores, after they did their evaluation, did not want Tua, but his owner was so smitten with Tua, and he he was he was just stuck. Yeah, I feel like the Dolphin situation is is um, is a cautionary tale across the league of um, owners overstepping or understepping in a way. You know, I think that. Um, at some points, Stephen Ross has been heavy-handed. At other points, he's kind of um, left um, the boys to be the boys, you know, with with uh, with Greer and with Chris Greer, the GM, and, and Brian Flores. And I think that that relationship was symbiotic for a very long time, uh, in spite of some of the habits. You know, I think that the complaint is that Brian Flores was abrasive, and that's what wore out his welcome more so than anything. Um, the narrative around it is, is that uh, Chris Greer gave Brian Flores really everything that he wanted aside from emptying out the cupboard the first year. Uh, you know, like, sure, I didn't give you much to play with. We really had an intention on this year that we want to rebuild, retool, do all of those different things. And like, sorry for that. Moving forward, I'll be completely transparent with you. And that's you know kind of what we saw. Uh, Brian Flores got to get any Patriot that cleared the waiver wire, you know, anybody that had ever seen the, the Gillette Stadium. You know, and I think that uh, eventually he wore out, um, he wore out his welcome just by t- all the turnover with staff, wanting more and more from Greer, you know, maybe more autonomy. Well, there was a report there. Um, but I say all that to say that I think that um, Brian Flores exemplified really good leadership, um, you know, throughout his whole time with the Dolphins. Um, minus one incident that I never really liked was the Kenny Stills situation. And for folks that aren't familiar, um, you know, Kenny Stills, a response to Jay-Z's, we're not kneeling anymore, Kaepernick comment. Um, and then uh, Brian Flores proceeds to play uh, nothing but Jay-Z songs in the practice facility the following day. Against the moment, but I could see how that would piss off players that don't like to be one up or shown up by their coach. Um, you know, most of the coaches don't care about the music that's playing. But, you know, I think um, even though I, I didn't like it either, I think Flores had a great response to it was like, hey, yeah, I'm doing this because it's going to piss you off. And you still have to control yourself. And it's just a mind game, right? And I feel like something like that would happen in New England. It just wouldn't get out. And the problem is with these New England coaches, and this is not my own personal take. I got this from um, Michael Lombardi, who worked with Bill Belichick in um, Cleveland and New England. You got to bring in New England guys. Like, I think think McDaniels is going to work in Oakland, because he's bringing his own GM. You can't try to fit your, you can't try to convert people into the Belichick way of football because it only happens that way in New England. It doesn't happen like that anywhere else. And trying to get people to do things your way when you're not Bill Belichick 
and they are used to doing it a certain way, which I feel like 90% of the league operates one way. And then you have your Belichick's uh, uh, probably like your Andy Reeds, you know, who do things a specific way. And um, they're allowed to do that. And I think that's what hurt Flores. Also, Hiring Chan Gailey as an offensive coordinator was just a bad hire. So I'm going to disagree. Um, I mean, our, our yards per play were better than they've ever been really since the last time he was with the Dolphins. And that's the thing. I think that there was a misconception about the what the offense could and couldn't do. And I think that it, it was as good as it had been at that point. Shout out to Omar Kelly, who gave me that information via Twitter, uh, Miami beat writer. And so, you know, I, I think that the offense we've, what, name the last time that the Dolphins had a running game outside of Jay Ajayi's few breakout games within him getting hurt. And it's Carter's really hard. Carter's was finest. Exactly. You're talking Ronnie Brown. Yeah. I looked him up the other day straight out of, out of Auburn. And, you know, it's just it's a wild time to think that, like, Ricky Williams and, and Ronnie Brown, a number two overall pick, which people forget a lot of the time, um, you know, like, that that's the last time that we had a legitimate running game. And we were still bragging about four yards per carry when Brandon Jacobs was falling forward for six yards. And, you know, like that was the time in the league. And I think that we just have never had a running game. And I think that that contributes to where we're at. I'm frustrated with the team as a fan. I I would have preferred to have Flores one more year, at least. Um, You know, I don't think that he should have been to that point. Um, I think that, uh, you know, no disrespect to Chris Greer, maybe continuity is good there and maybe Ross really trusts him. But the same guy that drafted Deion Jordan, number three, and traded picks for him doesn't get to continue making these mistakes with my folks. You know, like a winning coach, the, the first time we've had a winning season, you know, back-to-back in a long time. Was it I remember Dave Wanstead, being, maybe? Uh, I'm, yeah. And if that, the thing is, Dave Wanstead was too good at going eight and eight and nine and seven. He had like one ten in, in six a year at one point, and I think we made the playoffs, and that was the last time, or before Tannehill flukes out that year and gets hurt. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Just like it's all pain. It's all pain. And then the Ravens whooped their ass and Ed Reed did his thing. But um, yeah. Greer hire Adam Gase. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ross did. Ross really liked him. And but the problem was it was off of Peyton's word. Peyton came, I think, came down to the facility and spoke good about him and did a really it was like, you guys got to hire him. And I mean, we made the playoffs the first year, so it looked like it was legit. And then it just felt like somewhere out there it flamed out. And he was another dude that couldn't really build the right team, the right, um, you know, coaching staff to to prop up the team. But we, we got to figure that out. But um, I'm intrigued by our new coach, ultimately. So, yeah, you, you bring in Mike McDaniel, uh, nice diversity hire by the um, by the Dolphins. You know, uh, people don't know Stephen Ross. He definitely put his money where his mouth was, you know, behind the Black Lives Matter. He has a black GM. He had a black head coach and uh, Brian Flores and then, uh, you know, Mike McDaniels, one drop rule. Um, so, look, you can't call Stephen Ross a racist because he's putting his money where his mouth is, right? Yeah. Um, until he throws his Trump parties. You know, like the he had the thing in the Hamptons where well, it was like a million per plate or per seat at this fundraiser. And so it's like there, there's obviously a divide. Like he is more conflicted than a whore in church. And I think that I don't I don't really get it. You know, and like his allegiances just feel really divisive. Like I really love my NFL team, but I won't take the coach that potentially wants to come to the NFL and pay him even when I need a coach. And I fired him and it looks like I need a coach. You know, like there's so many of these situations where I just don't really understand it there. But with our new coach, um, I'm excited to see what McDaniel can bring. Um, I really enjoyed uh, watching the um, 
that there was an interview that Debo Samuels, uh, Debo Samuel does the uh, recently right as he takes the job. And he just talks about how he turned him up. You know, Debo in one year does double what he had the production the prior two years. And so just seeing that and seeing, you know, his rushing, um, you know, improvements, his rushing touchdowns, all of his, his yards per play um, were just so impressive. And to hear someone be like, he's the guy that like really taught me and used me in the right ways. And we saw it on the field. And that's why they made the, the uh, I mean, made it to the, the conference championship ultimately, you know, and almost made it to the Super Bowl. I love what he does by putting folks in motion, especially the linemen. Um, you know, you, you really, really see that. I think that he's going to turn us into a running team if we can get a running back. And he turned a rookie uh, running back into arguably one of the best running backs in the league in one year's time. So uh, big fan. You know, um, if if we don't like clog the, the conversation with the lack of true diversity hires in the, in the NFL, I'm not mad at the hire. Uh, he's a guy coming from the Kyle Shanahan tree. And I prefer the Shanahan tree more than the McVay tree. Obviously the McVay tree comes from the Shanahan tree, but I like the Shanahan tree a little bit more because it's, it's, they really care about running the ball. I I think you, you know, that McVay really wants to pass the ball, but he utilizes the run so that he can play action pass. But I think the, the Shanahan tree is committed to running the ball period. You know what I mean? Like, and some of the creative stuff that they did there, which is why I, I pushed back on the Shan Gailey. Uh, Shan Gailey, for one, he was a retread in Miami. Uh, he's going to be holding on to some of the Dave Wanstead stuff because that's who he was there with. But also that he just plays an older form of football, which obviously you gave me the numbers that made, that said it was more productive. But I think I, I think your new coach is definitely going to innovate the offense and more importantly than y'all getting a good running back he's gonna scheme your running back to get yards i hope so you know i i i I think that he can the problem is the dolphins have one of the worst o-lines in the league um you know i think that we compete with cincinnati honestly on just like having a really bad line we've got some good converted left tackles that are now guards you know like robert hunt is one of those guys who's uh, started to emerge but I mean we've spent probably five of our last you know uh, I mean uh, for the first three rounds of for the last four or five seasons it's been all offensive linemen essentially and Austin Jackson hasn't been the guy that we needed him to do to be and we drafted him in the first round and you know we've had all of these picks this war chest of picks and the majority of them have gone to linemen and we don't have much to show for it ultimately uh, so I, I don't know. Chris Greer you know he's, he's a guy uh, making the picks uh Real quick before we get out of here, Tua. Tua, Tua, Tua. Um, Tua's got to get stronger. Tua's got to get with like Russell Wilson's strength and conditioning coach or something like that. He definitely showed some more, um, you know, physicality this year and showed like, you know, he was able to take a hit. He was way less fragile. I wasn't as worried about him this year as I was uh, previous season. Um, you know, I, I, the thing that I'm just not seeing is this the the throw power. You know, like. I don't see a guy with a cannon um, and, you know, I've gone back and watched footage at, at Bama and they were perfectly pre- precise passes. I think that, that we had an offense last year that tailored to his strengths and it concerned me that, you know, it felt like there were some areas where he stepped back and there was mostly things around cof- confidence and, and pocket presence ultimately. And so I'm just worried that like, you know, our offensive line woes are going to are stunting his development. Um, but, you know, this isn't a really strong class. I think that if Malik Wills, you know, a guy like that falls to us in the draft, I think you bring in some competition because Tua, you know, like deserves to have to be pushed by someone maybe that's not perfect, but a project, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think that that makes me feel good. 
I, I, I'm glad to see uh, our coach get behind McDaniel get behind Tua and say that like he's going to try to squeeze everything out of him. I think that he can. Tua is going to be a phenomenal play action quarterback. That was his strength the first year under Chan Gailey. That I think that you know where he showed some strengths is what rolling out in the pocket. Um, and so bringing a running co- uh, coach in who's focused on that, I think it's just going to open lanes for him to do what he wants. Um, I think that my concern is is that you need to be able to push the ball downfield at some point. That's Russell Wilson's best strength. And he has the accuracy, but none of the power. And so what are you going to do with our weapons? Like we dink and dunked all last year. Um, you know, I think that we gave him arguably the best weapon uh, that you can give someone outside of Jamar Chase that's young. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's really on him. I do think that we, we need to rebuild our wide receiving core. I'd love to see um, I'd love to see my buddy come from Green Bay, come down to, to Miami and get paid too much. But Dante? yeah, why not? Uh, Tua, why not? Uh, so with that, I, I think that if you can scheme, if you can scheme a good play action game for Tua, uh, with some with some shots down the field to Waddle because Waddle does have that deep threat capability, I, I, I think you guys have a chance to really open up the offense. Um, my biggest fear though is Tua's lack of confidence, Tua's lack of arm, and him having to be Drew Brees for y'all to compete at a high level because that is such a high standard uh, of what a quarterback needs to be. And I think that's what Tua's skill set is. Tua reminds me a lot of um, uh, what's what's now I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the quarterback that the Dolphins used to have that had the uh, worship. Huh, who was it? Ed Pennington or Jay Feeler? Ed Pennington. And, you know, he had no arm strength at all, nothing left in that shoulder, and found a way to just be really accurate. And I thought to his run that he had for that, like, four-game stretch where we were winning and he was playing well and was back healthy reminded me a lot of that, where it's like three – you know, the ball only touches the ground three times when he's on the field, and he can be ridiculously accurate. He can beat people on slants. You know, it's more about his precision and his decision-making more than anything else, and I think that – that's the problem is, is that the league has changed and we need more from him there. And I think that he can show with accuracy and maybe in the right scheme, guys are going to get open because of the play action ultimately. Um, and so I think he can expose that, but I, I, I do, I think that if two is going to have a, a longer career, he's just got to get stronger. And it, it, I think that he shows the desire and a willingness to get bigger. And he did that last off season. And if he keeps bulking up, I think he can get there. That report about Flores trying to test him is wild. I don't think that that's true, but. Um, that's neither here nor there. Fair enough, man. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for coming on, dog. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Definitely a pleasure. All right, dog. I'll let you. All right, hold it down, bro.